Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we're going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. Bryce Drew lifted something out of the bed of his pickup truck while his wife Abby watched from the passenger seat. The realtor looked on inquisitively from the porch. Bryce hoisted a dodgeball-sized rock over the side of the truck and carried it like a strongman competitor across the yard. You got that? Abby asked through her halfway rolled-down window. <clears throat> Bryce replied. Abby took that to mean, yes. Bryce plopped the rock down beside the porch steps, adjusted it, and stepped back so Abby could see. The realtor stepped to the edge of the porch and peered over to take a look herself. In big, serif letters, the front of the rock said, The Drews. Now where did you get that? Abby playfully demanded. Had it made just for this occasion, Bryce replied. I wanted something special to mark our first home. The realtor smiled and handed Bryce the keys. Across the street, unnoticed by the realtor or the first-time homeowners, a pair of eyes peered through closed blinds. Two fingers open like scissors kept the blinds apart until the Drews backed out of the driveway. When only the realtor remained across the street, the blinds shut, and the watcher stepped out from his front door. He crossed the street and intercepted the realtor as she opened the door to her car. How could you? the man demanded. The realtor uttered a little shriek and jumped. Oh gosh, you just about scared me to death. She expected an apology from the disheveled-looking man who had frightened her, but one look in his eyes told no apology was forthcoming. He looked to be in his mid-thirties and had a two-week-old beard, if it could be called that yet. His hair needed to be washed and his clothes changed, but they were nice clothes. He smelled like stale vodka. "'You'll go to hell for this,' he said. Then he pointed up at the house. The realtor huffed. "'Excuse me?' selling this place to that sweet young couple. Let me guess, it's their first home? She wasn't looking too big yet, but I saw how she held her belly down low. She's got a baby on board, and they're looking to settle into a nice little place of their own. And you sold them this place. Yes, and got them a hell of a deal, I might add. Where exactly is the crime, sir? The man just stared at her, laser beaming her with his cold eyes, filmed over with a drunken haze. She shook her head as she slid into her seat, then slammed her car door. She only checked briefly in the mirrors before rocketing backwards out of the driveway. The downtrodden man she left behind fingered a lighter in his jean pocket. He looked up at the brand new house, 
the only new house on a block full of homes half a century old, shook his head and shuffled back across the street. What are you going to do about the lawn? Abby asked Bryce a week after they had finished moving in. There were still towers of boxes in every room that needed to be unpacked, but Bryce had run out of vacation time at work, and Abby, three months pregnant now, could only do so much on her own. The lawn? Bryce replied. What about the kitchen? What about our bedroom, honey? I'd like to be able to live here before we start trying to make it pretty. I know, but it just looks so dull and brown. Ours is the only one on the street that isn't practically glowing green right now. I'll pick up a hose and a sprinkler on my way home from work tomorrow, and we'll see if some water helps it. Otherwise, it's going to have to wait until... It's just going to have to wait, Bryce said. There's a noise I want you to check out too, in the basement, Abby said. Oh, what kind of noise? Sort of a rumbling sound? I'm not really sure what it might be. Hmm, might just be the furnace or something. I'll take a listen after dinner. Bryce didn't hear anything in the basement that night, but while he was down there, he noticed how empty the basement was. It wasn't a large space by any stretch, just a single room, but it could easily house some of the less important boxes until he and Abby made room for them upstairs. He offered this idea to Abby, and she told him it was fine as long as he was willing to do the heavy lifting. Bryce spent the rest of the evening sorting through boxes to decide which to take to the basement and carrying them down. In the darkest hours of morning, Abby shook Bryce awake. He cracked one eye as he rolled over and draped an arm around her back. No, Bryce, listen. Abby sounded scared. Her tone dug at a primal, masculine instinct within Bryce's psyche, and he sat up, alert. I don't hear anything, he said after a minute in perfect silence. It was the sound I heard in the basement, only, like, way louder, Abby said. She put a hand over one of Bryce's. It felt cold and sticky. Bryce put his other hand on her forehead to make sure she wasn't running hot. If she had a fever, he would have to take her to the hospital. She batted his hand away, saying, I'm not sick. I know I heard something. All right, all right, Bryce replied, now raising both hands in surrender. How about I go check it out? Abby nodded. He had only reached the door when Abby exclaimed, Wait, I don't want to be alone. Bryce turned away and squeezed his heavy eyes shut. He took a deep breath and reminded himself that his wife was carrying their child, and he could at least put up with some mild lapses in rationality to thank her. Would you like to come with me then? He asked. As if to test the mettle of his patience, she shook her head. Okay, then... A rumbling boom shook them both. Bryce lost his balance and had to grab a hold of the doorframe to stay upright. Abby was rocked onto her back in the bed. The power flickered and the digital alarm clock on the bedside table switched from a steady display of 3.33 a.m. to 12 a.m., flashing. The soft nightlight Abby kept on her side of the bed popped and went dark. The blinking red light from the alarm clock lit up the walls with an ominous pulse as everything turned to silence and stillness. Bryce's heart rate had gone from 50 to 120 in the one or two seconds it took for all of this to transpire. Abby already had tears running down her cheeks, pooling in the corners of her hyperventilating mouth. Bryce saw the baby bump lurching under the sheet and rushed to calm his wife down. Hey, hey, it's over, he whispered in her ear as he clutched her head against his own. What was it, Bryce? An earthquake? Maybe, Bryce lied. They were hundreds of miles from anywhere prone to earthquakes, 
but Abby didn't need to be told that now. He could be honest after the sun came up, but he needed her calm first, for the baby's sake. He said, I'll get a new bulb for your light. Abby let him go, but Bryce could not find the box of tiny light bulbs in the chaotic, halfway unpacked house. Instead, he brought back a small flashlight. It would surely run out of batteries before too long, but the sun would rise in three hours. The flashlight helped Abby calm down, and she fell into a state that sort of resembled sleep. A state which only those who have experienced pregnancy truly know. The baby coerced Abby into getting up just before dawn. Bryce was laying on his stomach with his head turned toward the wall when she left the room. Since she had never fully dove into deep sleep, the house-rattling rumble had not left her mind. She inspected everything she passed on her way downstairs. It did appear a few boxes had been knocked over, but unless they had contained some fragile items, she didn't feel like inspecting them now. Nothing appeared broken. Standing between the living room and kitchen, she eyed the basement stairs. She replayed the sound over and over, becoming more convinced it had originated in the basement every time. But the basement made her uneasy. It felt like a cage with a lid that could be closed over her, trapping her, suffocating her. It made her feel small and vulnerable. She opted, at least for the moment, to leave it alone. Abby made herself a bagel with butter, though she longed for cream cheese. She caressed the coffee maker and whispered, Only six more months, old friend. Then she made herself as comfortable as she could on the couch to watch the morning news. Bryce clumped down the stairs nearly an hour later. Still rubbing his eyes, he asked, Have you been downstairs? In the basement? Abby clarified. Yeah. No. Bryce nodded shallowly and went directly to the stairs. Abby watched him disappear and wondered how he could be so nonchalant. Maybe he was too tired to feel the fear that she felt. Abby! Bryce shouted, suddenly sounding perfectly alert. Abby nearly spilled her cup of orange juice as she sprung up from the couch. She clutched the rail and shouted down from the top of the stairs, What's wrong? You should see this. Abby rolled her eyes and went down to meet him. He hadn't even left the staircase. Bryce had one hand on the rail and the other pushed against the wall he was leaning on. He didn't look back at her until she was right behind him, and then seemed only interested in seeing her reaction. But Abby didn't react. It was too much. All she said was, Huh. A crack ran across the floor from one corner diagonally across to another. The concrete on either side of it had buckled and crumbled. In some sections, there was a two-inch gap in the floor, and in others, the two sides had overlapped, pushing against each other until the concrete crumbled. Stacks of boxes had fallen over on either side, creating a mess of trinkets and knickknacks piled on top of family photos. Most of the frames Abby could see were cracked or had the glass shattered. The sight overwhelmed her, overloaded her senses to the point where she bypassed shock and went straight to hopeless apathy. Bryce had become a statue. She put a hand on his shoulder to revive him. He sucked air down through his nose and took his weight off the wall. He put an arm around her waist, not affectionately, but as if to anchor himself. Honey, if the foundation is cracked... Abby giggled. What's so funny? No, it's just... Nothing's funny, obviously. It's just that something had to go wrong, right? We get a great deal on a brand new house... 
that doesn't just happen to people anymore. There had to be something wrong, and now we know what. At least it wasn't bad wiring burning the house down. I mean, can you imagine? Abby, stop, Bryce interrupted. Abby was startled to see how humorless his baggy eyes looked, but then realized it was she whose reaction was out of sync with reality. She said, I'm sorry, really, I know it's not good. That's putting it lightly, Bryce said. Honey, I don't even know if it's safe to be in the house like this. His eyes automatically dropped to her taut belly. I'm sure it's not that urgent, Abby replied. She put a hand under her bump as a gesture to show Bryce she would take care of the baby. He needn't worry about that. A quick Google search told Bryce Abby was right. He learned that foundations crack all the time, and people often live on them for years before repairing them. It made him a little nervous that none of the pictures he saw looked quite as bad as the crack that had split their foundation. But since there was really nothing he could do to solve the problem in the short term, he decided to allow himself a little peace of mind. The couple spent all of that Saturday morning unpacking. By 12.30, they were both starving. Bryce asked Abby what she was in the mood for, a dangerous question those days, and she said a burger and fries sounded just right. I'll have to run out and pick some up, but that can be done, Bryce said, smiling. He finished unloading the box of books he was working on, then took the truck to McDonald's. Not long after Bryce had left, Abby heard a knock on the front door. She groaned as she got to her feet. Of course someone would stop by after Bryce had gone. She figured it would be some door-to-door salesperson. Their address was surely on a list of newly purchased homes, and they would likely be flooded by people who wanted to make sure they had absolutely everything, even things they never would have thought of, covered. Abby peered through the peephole. The man who had knocked was not a salesman. Or if he was, she doubted he was very successful. He looked greasy, and he needed to shave. A change of clothes would have done him well, too. As she watched, he knocked again. Ma'am, I know you're in there. Please open the door, he said. Absolutely, positively, under no circumstances, Abby said to herself. I know you're in there? What, is he watching the house? Ma'am, please, you're in danger, he said. She watched him look all around as if searching for another way in. Bryce had been gone less than five minutes, and it would be at least twenty before he came home. Should she call the police? The man knocked once more, then backed away from the door. All right, I get it, he said. But if you can hear me, please don't go upstairs until your husband's home. Please. I don't want anything to happen to you. Abby scrunched her face. A cramp twisted her guts without warning. She had gotten used to this happening, but this one felt sharper than usual. The man pulled a notepad and pen from his back pocket and scribbled something down. He knelt out of sight, and Abby heard the hiss of their welcome mat sliding on the other side of the door. Then the man stood and walked across the street. He went into the house directly across from theirs. Great, Abby said aloud. The creepy guy lives right across the street. Guess I'll have to have the blinds closed all the time. She was mildly curious what he had written on the note, but she didn't dare open the door to check until Bryce came back. And he did, almost exactly 20 minutes later. Found this sticking out from the doormat, he said, holding up a folded piece of paper. As she dug through the salty-smelling paper bag Bryce had brought home, Abby told him about the visit from their neighbor. Bryce only appeared to be half-listening at best. He was staring at the note the man had left. When she finished talking, he looked up at her. 
His face expressed mild concern. He passed the note to her, and she read it aloud. You are both in danger. We need to talk about your house. Harrison Lynch. Harrison had also provided his address, but Abby already knew where he lived. This guy, Bryce scoffed. What's he doing? Coming over when you're alone and leaving a note like this? I don't know what he wants to talk about, but I have a couple topics I'd like to cover with him. Bryce went for the door. Bryce, no, Abby pled. Don't go starting problems in our new neighborhood. I don't want to live like that, please. She felt another sharp pain in her abdomen, but didn't allow her face to betray her discomfort. We already have a problem, Abs. You said yourself that guy creeped you out. Well, what if he's just confused, you know? What if he's not all there? Then I'll find out, Bryce replied, slipping out the door. He opened it again a second later, saying, Lock this behind me, please. Abby shook her head at him, but did as he asked. She watched from the living room window as Bryce knocked on the door across the street. When the dirty man opened it, her husband immediately raised the little piece of paper in his face and shook it. She was glad she couldn't hear what he was saying. It probably would have embarrassed her. The neighbor, Harrison, pointed up at the second story of their house. Bryce looked over his shoulder, dropping the hand with the note to his side. His body tensed. He quickly looked back at Harrison. They exchanged a few brief words, and Bryce came running back at a full sprint. Before he was even on the porch, he was shouting Abby's name. She rushed to unlock the door, but Bryce beat her there. He started rattling the knob and pounding on the door. She let him in, but he rushed past her without explanation, running straight upstairs. Across the street, Harrison raised a hand in awkward greeting. She hesitantly waved back. A third cramp nearly bent her over. If these get much worse, I should probably go to the doctor, she thought. Bryce's footsteps pounded all over the upstairs. She heard him opening closets, sliding back the shower door, searching all over for something. He finally came down, sweating, a couple of minutes later. He said there was someone else in here, Bryce said. Bryce, I'm quite pregnant, even if I wanted to cheat. No, God, Abby, that's not what I thought at all. He said there was a tall man standing in the upstairs window right after I left. That's why he came over. Of course he would say something like that, Bryce. You confronted him after he tried coming in the house when you weren't here, and now he's making excuses. Bryce stopped dead in his tracks. He hadn't thought of this. It seemed so obvious now. I'm... I'm sorry, he said. I guess I'm just a little overprotective these days. Not the worst thing you could be, a scraggly voice said behind Abby. She shrieked. When she spun around, Harrison Lynch was standing right behind her in the doorway. I promise you I'm not making up the figure in the window. But you changed my words. I said a tall figure. It wasn't a man. Not really. Bryce pulled Abby back as he stepped forward. He asked, What exactly are you trying to say, man? Enough of this cryptic nonsense. May I come in? Harrison asked. No, Bryce and Abby said together. Then will you come out here at least? I gotta tell you about this house. It's brand new. They just finished building it, Abby said. What is there to tell? I know that, Harrison replied. He suddenly sounded a little irritated. I watched the thing go up from the foundation. But you know what else? I watched the old one come down, too. That's not something I want to see again. These words were followed by a long moment of silence. Bryce wanted to tell the man to screw off but he couldn't deny the genuine concern in his eyes. And there was, of course, 
a mysterious giant crack in their basement now. Maybe this guy Harrison was crazy, or drunk. His breath hinted at an afternoon buzz. But would it hurt to hear him out? What if he really did know something important? Bryce said, on the porch. He gave Abby a look that told her to decide for herself whether she would come out too. She followed him out the door and leaned back against the porch rail. Look, you said no more nonsense, so I'll cut to the chase. There's a dark force at work on this property. Mm, Yeah, okay, never mind, Bryce said. He looked at Abby and pointed at the door. He made to open it so they could go back inside, but Harrison blurted out, A whole family was killed in the house that used to stand here. Bryce paused. Did you know that? Harrison asked. No. Is it true? Bryce replied. You can find the story online, I'm sure. There were news vans from three channels out here when it happened. Bryce, how is this not disclosed to us? Abby asked. Harrison answered, Well, I'm guessing the law says your realtor has to tell you about deaths that occurred in the home, and, well, since that house is technically gone. No wonder we got such a good deal, Bryce said. Abby pinched the bridge of her nose and shook her head. So what, our house is haunted? Worse than that. Much worse, I'm sorry to say, said Harrison. If you'll allow me, I'll tell you the story of what happened here. I think it'll help you understand what's going on and what you need to do. Abby's uterus twisted into a knot and she nearly doubled over. She thought she might throw up over the porch rail for a moment, but the aching pain faded as quickly as it arrived. Bryce gave her a questioning look, and she gave him a thumbs up. Harrison seemed to accept the upturned thumb as his invitation to continue. It started about three years ago. A family moved into this house, probably the third or fourth to do so, and they were welcomed into the neighborhood. There were two parents and two kids, a boy and a girl. The girl, the youngest, was only about five or six, but something was wrong with that kid. You know how you can just sense that on some people? How they're a little off? Well, I'd never gotten that feeling from a kid before I met that little girl. The way she looked at the other members of her family. She always stood just slightly back from them with this look like she was about to pull a butcher's knife out from behind her back and go all chucky. The pandemic kept everybody in the neighborhood isolated for about a year. We'd wave to each other from the windows and porches, but nobody went out and talked to each other like usual. The family who lived here kept to themselves entirely. They had their groceries delivered and all that. Kept their blinds shut for the most part, too. Had I known them a little better, I would have checked in on them. As it was, I thought they were just hyper-paranoid about the virus. You know how people got back in those early days. Bryce and Abby nodded. Well, fast forward a year, and the neighborhood began to piece itself back together. The older folks started going out and chatting first. The rest of us followed their lead, slowly. After a few weeks with nobody dying, people started grilling together again, swapping bread, the whole nine yards. All except the folks in this house, or the one that used to be here, rather. Dennis, a good man from down the road there, knocked on my door one evening to ask if I'd seen or heard from the family across the street, and I told him I hadn't. He looked at me like he had expected to hear this. He said, Harry? He calls me Harry. I think we'd better check on them. There's a smell I don't like hanging around their property. Bryce saw where this was going and slipped his hand around Abby's, intertwining his fingers with hers. So Dennis and I came over here and rang the doorbell. They didn't answer, but man, that smell. If you've smelled roadkill before, you know what I mean. 
only it was powerful enough to smell from the street on that humid summer evening. We did the responsible thing and called the cops. Then Dennis and I watched from my porch. I knew it was going to be bad when the first officer in stumbled back out, puking. They were dead? asked Abby. Harrison nodded solemnly. Three of them murdered, all hacked up, one by suicide, hung herself from the stairs. The little girl? Bryce asked, knowingly, and Harrison nodded again. That little girl had taped back the safety guard on a battery-powered circle saw and chased her family all through the house, catching them one by one. The cops say it probably took quite a while to do. Nobody knows why none of them were able to get out of the house and get help. Maybe they were trying to stop her, Abby offered. Could be. Anyway, once she was done with her family, the girl did herself. That's the part that bothers me most. And that all happened right here, Bryce said, gazing at their house without focus. Because of the, pardon me ma'am, mess that the little girl made, and how long it sat in the heat and humidity, the house was written up as a total loss. They couldn't clean it up, Bryce asked. Well, even if they tried, and good luck finding someone to do that, then there would have been the matter of selling the place. No, it was a giant biohazard and they decided it had to go. Burn the whole sucker down once the investigation was over. And on the ashes of that old house, yours was built. So again, are you saying this house is haunted? Abby asked. What does all of this have to do with the man in the window? Figure, Harrison replied. Bryce and Abby looked impatient. Harrison sighed. What I saw in your upstairs window was not a man. It wasn't human. But it was real, I promise you that much. If you want my advice, you need an exorcist. What? Bryce scoffed. You mean like, the name of Jesus Christ compels you and all that? Abby spun and vomited over the rail. The twisting pain returned twofold at the very second Bryce mentioned Jesus. Bryce was now holding her hair back and asking if she was okay, but the world seemed muted, blurry and distant. She focused her hazy vision on the grass below her, she could see her puddle of puke there, orange in some splashes, but deep red in others. She spat and tasted blood. Come on, let's get you inside, Bryce said, sounding artificially calm. He had noticed the color of her vomit, but didn't allow himself to react. He helped her move away from the rail, but she stumbled after only a couple of steps. Harrison swooped in and caught her other arm. He hoisted her back up, ignoring the way she flinched when he touched her. Bryce allowed him to help. His concern for Abby outweighed any mistrust of their neighbor. Let's set her on the couch, Bryce grunted as they hauled Abby inside. Does she need an ambulance? Harrison asked. Not yet. Sometimes she gets sick like this, Bryce answered. He put the reddish color out of his mind for now. He thought maybe it was ketchup from the burger he didn't know she hadn't eaten. Abby moaned and put one hand on her forehead and the other on her stomach. What do you need, honey? Bryce asked. Mm -mm, water. Bryce recoiled a little at her sour breath, but nodded. Hey, said Harrison, following Bryce to the kitchen. I brought a few things. Some holy water, a crucifix, a little New Testament, you know. Mind if I try blessing your house? Are you qualified for that sort of thing? Bryce asked. He held a glass under the faucet and turned it on. Well, no, I'm certainly no priest, but I've researched the rituals. Did you know a lot of exorcisms are done by unordained people? Anyway, it'd be better than nothing, right? 
Bryce said, knock yourself out and shut off the tap. All he cared about at that point was Abby. He brought her the water as Harrison separated to perform his rituals. Bryce heard the man go upstairs and rolled his eyes. He was mildly concerned about the figure the neighbor claimed to have seen upstairs, and he was upset about the undisclosed history of their property. But was a book and some special water really going to help if there was something truly evil lurking in their home? Bryce wasn't even sure he believed in such a thing. Oh, thank you. I'm feeling better already, Abby said as Bryce handed her the glass. That was so strange out there. I've been having a little discomfort today, but... Bryce, it's been weeks since I've actually thrown up. You want to go to the ER or anything? Not to freak you out, but it kind of looked like there was some blood in your... Yeah, I tasted it, Abby said. But honestly, I feel fine now, and so does the baby. I think I just got worked up about... A wild scream of pure terror bellowed above them. They both turned to look at the stairs just as Harrison's body flew down at them, not making contact with a single step. His back slammed into the stack of boxes in the corner, and he fell flat. Books poured out of one of the boxes he had flattened and pelted his head and back. His hand was covered in blood, and Bryce could see the remains of a shattered vial in it. Bryce rushed forward to help Harrison up, but before he got there, Harrison's body rotated on its own. The man looked up from the floor, met Bryce's eyes with the most terrified look he had ever seen, then was yanked away by an invisible force. Abby screamed feverishly as Bryce scrambled to catch Harrison's hands. He caught one, the fingers soaked in blood, and it slipped away from him. Harrison's cries faded as he was dragged down the basement stairs. Then he went silent. Bryce, Bryce, Bryce. Abby was just repeating his name over and over as her husband stood, stupefied, five feet away from the basement. He was trying to convince himself he had only imagined what he had just witnessed. Should I... He trailed off, looking to pale, sweating Abby for help. No, no, you can't go after him, Abby said. I was going to say call the police, Bryce said. He pulled out his phone, but just stared at the screen. What would the police do? Help me! Harrison's voice suddenly echoed up the stairs. This forced Bryce to move without thought, jump into action automatically. He hit the light switch, but the bulb at the base of the stairs flickered, then flashed out. He would have grabbed the flashlight, but it was upstairs in the bedroom, having served as a nightlight the night before. There was a crumbling sound below that vibrated the whole house. Bryce was reminded of the previous night and remembered the cracked foundation. The separation between their brand new home and the tainted land it was built on. Had the crack been caused by the Dark Force's re-emergence? These thoughts were passing through Bryce's head as he descended into darkness. His phone was still in his hand, but he didn't think to use it as a flashlight until he stepped onto the concrete floor. When he remembered it, its brilliant white light flooded the small basement. He didn't see Harrison. Only a little girl huddled in the corner where the crack started. Hello? Bryce called out, dazed. The girl didn't react. He yelled, Harrison? But neither the neighbor nor the mystery child responded. Bryce wanted to go straight back up the stairs. He wanted to be with his wife. He wanted to get her the hell out of this house and burn it down behind them. But the little girl finally spoke. Please, mister, she said in a sobbing whisper. He won't leave me. He's been keeping me here. Carefully, Bryce asked, Who? Harrison? 
The little girl shook her head. She still wouldn't look at Bryce. He stepped a little closer. Is it the thing upstairs? The tall figure? Bryce took another step forward. A hand caught the back of his ankle and he yanked his leg away. Bloody fingers had emerged from the crack in the foundation and were now feeling around aimlessly. A choked voice came from below. It's a trick. Harrison? Bryce asked. How could the man have fit down in that crack? At its widest point, it was maybe three inches at most. But no. Now that Bryce stopped to observe it again, he saw the crack had grown. Still not nearly wide enough for a grown man to fit into, but more than enough for a hand to reach up and grab him. Bryce turned once more toward the little girl, but saw she was a little girl no more. Before his eyes, she stood and faced him. The front of her nightgown was saturated with blackened blood. She choked as her jaw dropped open and elongated. Her eyes spread apart. The skin above her nose split and fell away, revealing maroon leather below. Her scalp sloughed away, showing more of the leathery skin beneath. Bryce backed away from the disgusting creature transforming before him. When he reached the stairs, he turned to run. The choked voice from the crack called after him. It wants the youngest. From the stairs, Bryce shone his light back toward the creature to see if he was being followed. It had vanished. Upstairs, Abby screamed. Bryce found his wife on all fours in the living room. A puddle of blood soaked the carpet beneath her face. Some of it dripped from her golden hair. What's happening? Bryce asked, sounding panicked. Abby didn't reply. All she could hear was a heartbeat. Her baby's heartbeat. It fluttered at first, like when she had first heard it in the ultrasound. But the sound deepened with each pulse. Soon, it was no longer a beating heart, but a panting animal. An enormous creature, breathing heavily. Get it out. Get it out of me, she begged. Her deep breaths were slightly out of sync with the beast inside her. She felt it trying to match hers and resisted, changing her pace. She didn't know how she knew this, but she felt that if she synced up with the beast's breathy panting, it would become her. It sensed her resistance and twisted her stomach. Instinctively, she cried, Not the baby, please! Bryce remembered the words of the dying man below them. It wants the youngest. In Harrison's story, this creature had taken over the little girl, and now it was after their unborn child. Aloud, Bryce said, I don't know what to do. Abby looked at him, utter anguish stretching her face. She said, I can hear the baby crying. The paramedics who responded to the 911 call from a panicked husband about his wife found the front door of the house unlocked. When they didn't receive any response from inside, one of them gently pushed the door open. What they could see from the porch, looking in, was enough for them to radio dispatch for the police. It ached them not to render aid to the bloody, unresponsive mother-to-be laying on the floor of the living room. But policy stated they could not enter the home until police officers cleared it. It wouldn't do any good to add more bodies to the count. What the paramedics hadn't noticed from the front door was the man laying only a few feet away from the woman. His body was strewn across the floor at an angle, partially upheld by the couch. The baby blue cushion behind his head was stained purple with blood. 
a crucifix, had been shoved past his teeth and through the back of his throat. Identity? Bryce Drew. Cause of death? Homicide. Asphyxiation. The woman, Abby Drew's cause of death, was much more difficult to determine pre-autopsy. Based on her husband's condition, murder would be the obvious assumption, but there was evidence from previous symptoms that something else might have caused her death. For starters, the puddle of blood-stricken vomit near her head. Then there was, of course, the 911 call. The husband had claimed his wife was experiencing severe cramps and nausea. He hadn't sounded like they were in danger of violence, though. But then there was the trail of blood leading from the woman's elastic skirt. It led directly to her husband's corpse, but then away toward the basement stairs in a V. The police had followed this trail to the basement. One of them noted a disturbing number of red droplets vaguely resembled tiny hands with no fingers beyond the first knuckle. Another officer called him a spookable moron. Nothing had hands that small. It was the crime scene photographer who pointed out how the bloody trail halted perfectly against a hairline fracture in the basement floor, which ran diagonally across. Oh, damn, the officer who noticed the vague handprint said. Whoever buys this place next is going to want to fix that. Brand new foundation, already cracking apart. Bryce Drew's autopsy confirmed his cause of death. Abby Drew's autopsy prompted more questions than it answered. It appears the medical examiner wrote in his final report, that the subject's fetus was removed from her womb with force. Her direct cause of death is acute cardiac arrest, but the internal bleeding from her injuries would have killed her had her heart kept beating. What I cannot understand is the directional nature of her injuries. All of the damage consistently points outward, the fetus leaving the womb and exiting the body. There is nothing to indicate any tools or force were used to enter the womb. The detective on the Drew case was alerted when the neighbor across the street was reported missing and unable to be located by another neighbor, Dennis. The house in which Bryce and Abby Drew had been killed was cleared and cleaned. The rock with their last name etched into it removed. The house just went up for sale along with Harrison's foreclosed home across the street. Harrison's will likely sell quickly at auction. There has been no interest in the Drews' home yet. Someone, likely someone within the police department, leaked a few of the crime scene photos on the internet. Those images have likely kept most prospective buyers away. I hope anyone in the future who might be interested should be so lucky as to find those horrible images. Better to be exposed to the pictures than the real thing. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. If you want more creepy content, follow me on Instagram at The Warning Woods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into The Warning Woods. Thank you for listening.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.